Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm your co-host, Ryan, and this podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the impressive and disappointing players list from hot takes on hoops. Now, unfortunately, my co-host Jalen will not be here today. He's feeling a bit under the weather, so I am praying for a speedy recovery for him, and hopefully he can come back to the podcast very soon. But today, I have a very special guest on the Hoop Talk podcast, and he's actually the inspiration behind the topic for this episode of the Hoop Talk podcast. So please welcome from Hot Takes on Hoops, Jackson Chin. Hey, how you guys doing? Um... Yeah, I'm excited for this. I did a podcast back in August, um, and that was fun, so I'm glad to be back on here. So, Jackson, what have you been up to since the last time we talked back in August? Um, well, personally, I mean, I went to college, so that's a pretty big thing, but um, that's that's been fun. Um, I've continued hot takes on hoops um, pretty much throughout. I took like a two-week hiatus. Um, but for the most part, I've just been continuing grinding out content, um, doing a few more social media things now than I was when I met you um, before in August. And um, yeah, that's all been fun and good. Yeah, for sure. And um, we're definitely going to have the link to your Instagram page in our bio when the episode drops on Saturday. This is definitely an interesting episode. And like I mentioned in the intro, this episode is actually inspired by two of Jackson's lists that he did on hot takes on hoops. He did a list for the most impressive players so far in the NBA and also the most disappointing players in the NBA. And we're actually going to start with the most disappointing players in the NBA. And I actually picked out five names from each list and we're going to talk about them. The first name from the disappointing list, James Harden of the Brooklyn Nets. Now this has been a, interesting storyline to say the least in the NBA so far James Harden's shooting struggles and a lot of people have attributed it to the new foul rule where James Harden was getting a lot of his well James Harden specifically had been getting a lot of his foul calls by drawing contact with the defender so Jackson with James Harden being one of the top names on your disappointing list do you think it was more because of the foul rule? I think it's a little bit of the foul rule. I think it's also partly like we have to keep into context here that James Harden is one of the best scorers this league has ever seen. Um, whether or not he's getting foul calls or not, I think that the refs, like the, there's a lot of knowledge out there. Like it's pretty common knowledge that James Harden is notorious for foul baiting or whatever you want to call it. Um, he, he has gotten about 10 free throws per game um, since he entered his prime with the Rockets. So it's he's notorious for that. And I think that the refs are kind of overcompensating for that. You have seen a lot of clips. If you watch the Nets games, even um, you'll see a lot of times where he won't get a call, which most people will, even in, in this new era of um, officiating rules. And um, I think it's just going to take some adjustment, but it's also going to take the refs um, some adjustment as well to kind of just like enforce the new rules, but also call things um, which are blatant. Um, there's been a lot of like, not even talking about James Harden, there's been a lot of hand checking things that um, have returned and like, you know, it would be fine if it would be fine if hand checking was allowed, but it's, it's not. Um, there was a clip of DeAndre Hunter against the Suns. Um, there's been a lot of clips of Harden obviously getting hand checked. So um, I think that's part of it but also just he Harden doesn't look as aggressive as he has in prior years. Um, I think for the most part last year, you know, he wasn't as aggressive either, but he still was looking for his own shot. Um, a lot of the times while still being able to be a facilitator for um, Irving and Durant um, this year, he just doesn't look um, as invested in taking it to the rack, um, getting, um, getting contact. And part of that might be because he knows of the new rules, but I think he just needs to get more aggressive. Um, his assist numbers, his rebound numbers are pretty much similar. Um, I feel like he's been playing. Um, he's an, he's an improved defender like two years ago. Um, he became much better as a defender and he's carried that over since, 
but just being more assertive offensively. Um, and I think it's just going to take the rest adjusting to the new rules as well. And I think the one thing that really hasn't changed has been his success from the three-point line. He's one of the best three-point shooters right now in the NBA. And something you mentioned that was interesting also is his defense. He actually has grown to be one of the better defenders in the NBA. And the interesting thing about James Harden's struggles from inside the arc is that he's not the only player on the Nets that's actually struggling from inside the arc. You look at Joe Harris, who was another player on your disappointing list, and then also looking at Patty Mills. I mean, those are two players that you instantly think of that are also struggling inside the arc. But James Harden seems to be the more notable one. But the other player that I was thinking of when I was talking about this new rule was Trey Young. And I kind of want to get your perspective on this, Jackson, because it hasn't really been affecting Trey Young as much as it has been with James Harden. So how do you think that new rule has been affecting Trey Young so far? And has it been in a positive way or more of a negative way? I think that um, Trey Young has adjusted pretty well. I think Harden has adjusted pretty well. I think for whatever reason, the refs are just overcompensating for Harden in ways that they're not overcompensating for Trey Young, even though they're both notorious for foul drawing. Um, but I mean, if you look at Trey's stats, I mean, they don't blow you out of the water this year, but I think he's taken a, on much more of a facilitating role and, you know, they they're off to a slow start. So it's in question if that's the role he should actually play on this team. Um, I think that it's good that he's improving on his facilitating and being and putting more emphasis on that. Um, and to be honest, I don't think the issue with the Hawks is their um, offense is their defense, but um, obviously Trey Young isn't helping that. And that's more of a team thing, but I think overall Trey Young has adjusted well. Um, I obviously I wouldn't say the rules helped him because he did get a lot of those foul calls earlier um, or last year, just based on um, just jumping into the defender, just unnatural shot motions. Um, but I definitely think that he could, if he wanted to be more aggressive, which I think at some point in this season, he's going to have to be, um, that he he can still put up 28 points per game. And I think with time during the season, it's still early in the season. So I think there's still that time for both Harden and Trey Young to get back to their to get back to their normal selves. Trey Young last year was one of the top scorers in the league. Harden, the same thing, one of the top scorers in the league. So I think it's only going to be a matter of time before both of them get back to normal. Something to also keep in mind, James Harden still kind of dealing with that hamstring injury. So we do kind of have to take that into account for some of his shooting struggles inside the arc. But still an interesting name to discuss as one of the more disappointing players. But another interesting disappointing player from your list is Michael Porter Jr. Now, Michael Porter Jr. recently signed a huge contract, but now he is going to be out for a couple games with a back injury. So, Jackson, from your perspective, what has disappointed you the most about Michael Porter Jr. so far? I think that the fact that I, I don't think there's a lot of, like, when I say disappointing, I really mean it in, like, the lightest way possible. These are all some of the best scores in the NBA, especially on the top of that list. And I kind of did that deliberately just because like these guys are just not they're, they're for whatever reason, they're not making shots that they usually make right now. And um, whether it be the new ball, which we can get into later or not, but um, that's been a big storyline um, or something else. They, they haven't been off. They've been off to a slow start compared to what they usually do, um, which is a high standard. But for Michael Porter Jr., it seems to be, even even worse. I mean, he's averaging 10 points per game on terrible shooting. Um, and, you know, some of these guys, you see like six point per game decreases, five point per game decreases, um, which are normal of like a slow start. It's just like the amount of stars that are having slow starts is why I kind of made this list in the first place. But with Michael Porter Jr., it's really concerning just because last year he was known as one of the most efficient scores in the NBA, um, shooting 40 plus percent from deep. I think he was shooting 46% from deep um, from the post all-star break. Um, and I mean, just the pinnacle of efficiency. I mean, he was right there with Steph Curry last year, pretty much. And I think that just the fact that he's not putting shots into the basket at the rate that he usually does. Um, and I think that's definitely affected his confidence a little bit. And you've seen that at least before he got injured in the games that he's played. Um, because at the fir at first he just wasn't making shots. And then 
um, his just aggressiveness overall seemed to have decreased. And, um, you know, I think that the Nuggets, especially with Murray out, if they want to stay afloat, they definitely need him um, to be that second scoring option for Jokic. Um, because, I mean, Will Barton has been amazing this year. Um, and he's kind of picked up um, what Michael Porter Jr. has kind of dropped in terms of production. But um, they're definitely going to need him um, to pick it up. And you mentioned this briefly with Michael Porter Jr. And I, want, I wanted to bring up his three-point shooting percentage a little bit more and also his, his shooting percentage overall from the field. I mean, he was shooting 44.5% from three last season compared to 20.8% from three this season. And then from two-point range, he was shooting 62.8% last season. This year, he's only shooting about 49.8% from two. So that's not a big decrease, but it's a, but it's a very noticeable decrease. And I don't think it's going to help that he's going to be out for a significant period of time with this back injury. And now the Nuggets are down another scoring option and it's going to have to force somebody else to step up. And Will Barton seems to be that guy. And he's really taken to that role of being the second option for this team. And he's looked very impressive, like you mentioned so far this season. But I want to mention something interesting that you talked about earlier with the ball. And I kind of want to get your perspective on it because a lot of the players on your list have struggled shooting, whether it's from the field or from three, but it's a lot of the top players on this list, like Devin Booker, like De'Aaron Fox, like Luka Doncic. So in your perspective, how do you feel this is affecting those top players? I think it's, I think it's an, um, I think it's very noticeable. I think it is affecting a lot of these players. Um, It's interesting to see how, I mean, the league average true shooting percentage is definitely down from where it's been in the past. It's been on a sharp incline on um, the past four years or so, and it's taken a noticeable dip this year. But there have been some players that have not lit up any production, um, but there is a noticeable amount of stars that um, it has affected more than most. Um, and I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, when you shoot with the same ball um, for as long as these guys have, um, because, I mean, They've, they've shot with the same ball because it's the NBA regulated ball. Why would you shoot with anything else um, except the ball that you're going to play actual games with? And um, I think that transitioning to a different ball can really affect um, just, you know, if we want to get into just like actual basketball things, just like the feel of the ball, how it comes off your hands, um, how's, how it feels in your shooting pocket. Like it's all different. Um, and I think a lot of these, they're good enough. These players are good enough to adjust. Um, I think it's just taking a little bit longer than a lot of us expected because nobody was really talking about the new ball um, coming into the season, like at all. Um, but it, so it has affected players more than most of us thought it would. But yeah. Talking about some of those players, the next player that we're actually going to talk about is Donovan Mitchell. And it was interesting because when you look at his shooting efficiency numbers early in the season, like a lot of players, they're down significantly. And I think, I think you made this comparison in your post. I actually was looking at the comments section before this episode started, and you, you talked about the shooting struggles of players like Donovan Mitchell, Kyle Lowry, and Bradley Beal to this point in the season. And that could be the case for why they've uh, been struggling is because of the ball. It's definitely taking some time for them to adjust to this point in the season. So – could you make that case for Donovan Mitchell and other players like Bradley Beal and Kyle Lowry? Because we've seen those guys who were great three-point shooters and overall shooters last year, but their numbers are declining here to start the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when you look at when I initially made this list, um, guys like Mitchell, um, Mitchell specifically, is his percentages overall were down. And now he's, um, his volume, his production is um, pretty much back up to what it was last year. Um, the field goal percentage is there. He's actually shooting better from inside the arc. It's just, yeah, it's just the outside shooting, I think, for a lot of these guys that's just kind of perplexing. If you look at, um, and Lowry, again, was another example of a guy who was struggling way more when I made this. And um, I also kind of said that guys like Mitchell Beal, um, Lowry, it's, I understand it's apparent that when these guys play, their teams are a lot better. I, I understand that. But think about it this way. If these guys shot what they were shooting at the beginning of the season, which was like 
um, to 30% from the field for the whole season, that would be a disappointing season. Like let's, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. They're definitely more effective when they're shooting. Well, I understand that Lowry, the heat are 100 times a better team when Lowry is playing, whether he's scoring 20 points or six points, but he, that was definitely a disappointing start for him. Um, but yeah, I think it's just the three-point shooting that are bringing these guys down. Lowry's shooting 38% from the field. Lowry has never been known as an efficient scorer, per se. Um, his field goal percentage already always hovers around 40-42%, uh, but his three-point percentage is always around 38-40%. Um, so they're very close, and you know, he's shooting 38% now, and but he's shooting 32% from three. Um, so it's really just the outside shot, which I think, again, has to do a lot with the ball, um, like we discussed earlier. I think that it's so interesting when you mention the ball because it's been a very long time since we've had that issue of the ball is actually the problem. And, you know, you, you combine that with a lot of the players, low shooting efficiency, especially from three point land with a lot of these guys, Bradley Beal, Mitchell, Kyle Lowry. It, it's so interesting to talk about it as a, a top storyline here early in the season. Now looking at, uh, Mitchell specifically, I saw something interesting also in the comment section from your post that you actually inserted the wrong jazz player in your list. And it was somebody in your comment section. It was a Utah jazz account that said that Jordan Clarkson should actually be replaced with Donovan Mitchell. So first of all, what are your thoughts on Jordan Clarkson's season so far? And do you feel like he's had a disappointing start? Well, yeah, when that, I know what account you're talking about. When he, um, and by the way, it's a great account. I think it's Jazz Country. But when he commented that, um, Clarkson was shooting abysmal. And Clarkson, one of those guys, he's a he's a microwave off the bench. And um, he, I mean, he's shooting pretty bad now. He's shooting 30, um, 36% from the field, 24% from three. Um, but he was, the production has been up. He's now averaging around 15, 14 and a half. But um, when he was certainly when I made this post um, a week and a half ago or so, um, Clarkson just wasn't putting anything in the bucket. And I think that has to do a lot with um, the ball again. But also, um, I think that, you know, Clarkson is just one of those guys. And the same goes for MPJ. If they're not if they're not getting you buckets, um, they're not giving you much on the defensive end. Um, They're not giving you much as a playmaker um, or anything outside of that. So I think, you know, it's, it's hard to criticize those guys when the ball is not going to the basket because that's all you focus on. Um, and then you just kind of harp on the fact that they can't do anything else. But Clarkson is a very valuable player, um, as we saw last year for the Jazz, if he's going. And um, I think it's, again, like a lot of these guys are interchangeable. Um, there's different definitions of what disappointing actually means. Um, but, yeah, Clarkson um, – even, even up till now, he's definitely struggled, but he's getting back on track. Yeah, and I think it's also with adjusting with the new season because I know you you mentioned a lot of players early on the season. They struggle. You know, shooting numbers are down. But, you know, a lot of players eventually turn it around. Jordan Clarkson's one of those players right now. He hasn't been shooting well from three or from the field at all. I mean, just to kind of look at it, 21.7% from beyond the arc, 10 games into the season – and he hasn't been shooting well from the corner, has not been shooting well from above the break. Mid-range, he's getting better. But again, like when, you, when you're talking about microwave scorers, Jordan Clarkson's maybe the best microwave scorer in the league. And you also compared him with Michael Porter Jr., which I thought was interesting because the most valuable thing that they can provide is scoring. And when both of them struggle, especially on the offensive side, it hurts a team like the Denver Nuggets, who are already down with uh, Jamal Murray. It hurts a team like the Utah Jazz, in which Donovan Mitchell, like we mentioned earlier, was a player that had not been shooting the ball well from the field or from three. So I think with time, it will definitely change. And I think Jordan Clarkson will continue to get better. But it's going to be very interesting to see going forward, especially considering we're still pretty early in the season. We're about 11 or 12 games deep now. So a lot of the questions that we have now may not be questions 30 or 40 games into that season. But I want to talk about an interesting player, another interesting player on your disappointing list. And this is actually one of Jalen's picks 
Nikola Vucevic from his Chicago Bulls. Now, Vucevic has gotten off to a terrible shooting start to the season. And defensively, looking at the Philadelphia 76ers matchups with the Chicago Bulls, he has not matched up well with Joel Embiid. So, Jackson, how do you feel about Nikola Vucevic to the start of this season, especially with his offensive struggles? And what was it about his matchups with Joel Embiid that surprised you the most? Because, again, he was struggling in those games against Joel Embiid. Vucevic is one of those players that, like, again, he he provides he provides floor spacing, and I'm kind of iffy on Vucevic. Oh, I've always been iffy on Vucevic just because um, he's never been a plus defender. Um, he's never been a he's never even been a rim protector. Most guys that are not um, agile from the center position and can sw- have that switchability, at least you can say that they're um, a good rim protector and they can kind of stay back, um, kind of in that Brook Lopez role, um, who's n- not good um, versatility-wise, but a great shot blocker and rim protector. But Vucevic doesn't offer either of those things. So his main value is stretching the floor uh, offensively and then being able to bail you out a few times offensively if you don't have anything going because you can run the game. You can run the game through stretches through him through the post um, and get some inside-out game going to get your out um, to get your shooters going, but also just being able to rely on him in the post. And, like, he just hasn't done that. He, he definitely hasn't spaced the floor. Um, he's not been efficient from inside the arc either. Um, and I think it's just one of those things I'm amazed that the Bulls are doing as well as they are with him struggling like this, just because if you look at their roster, um, I mean, they have Lonzo at the point, um, solid shooter, um, but he has um, the ball in his hands a fair amount. Then you have Levine and DeRozan who also have high usage rates. Um, DeRozan's not that great of a shooter either. Um Vucevic really needs to take on that role of being a um, floor spacer for them because I think they're going to run into some issues later into the season and in the playoffs just because they don't have a lot of shooters on this roster. And it's been fun to see them go up and down and run um, and not really have to worry about that right now. Um, But I think that they are going to run into issues like that later. And the Embiid matchups, I mean, it just just seemed like he was getting um, physically outmatched um, Embiid was especially Embiid. One of those games was on fire um, from three two. So like um, he was he was handling the ball on the on the top of the key, um, just shooting over him. So that's also something that you just can't control. But um, he just looked like he was getting physically outmatched, and um, I think that's also a problem with Vucevic um, defensively. He just can't match up one on one against imposing centers. And I think it's also interesting to note. I mean. Tony Bradley seemed like a better defensive matchup going one-on-one with Embiid watching those Chicago Bulls, Philadelphia 76ers matchups. But we're talking about his offensive start and it has been abysmal. And he has, in a sense, his role has changed with the additions of DeMar DeRozan and the additions of Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. So I think this is an interesting follow-up question because he was the second option on that team last year with the bulls. And you can honestly say that Nikola Vucevic on this team is anywhere between the third and the fourth option for this team. So Jackson, do you think that his role has had something to do with the struggles that he's had offensively, or do you believe it's something else? I don't know exactly. Cause I mean, if he was shooting what he usually shoots from three, which is around um, 38 to 40%. Um, I think that he fit into this role perfectly um, for, especially for the um, Bulls last year for the, um, for Orlando, he's taken on much more of a post scoring role just because they were there. He was their primary scorer for so many years, but um, especially with the Bulls and Levine, um, you kind of got to see what he could play in more an off ball role um, being a spot up shooter, but also being able to initiate um, offense um, at some times. Um, He's also an underrated passer. That's the one thing that he has been good at. He's been um, good with facilitating um, from the top of the key from the post, um, which he's kind of always been good at, um, especially as of late. But, I mean, I think it's just, again, I don't know what to blame it on the ball or just a slow start, but he's not spacing the floor well. And I also think that the, the Bulls have been off 
to such a hot start um, with Levine, Lonzo, um, and DeRozan that they really haven't had to need to use him. They haven't slowed down enough offensively to where they have to run the offense to the post a little bit, like I was talking about, um, and play some inside-out game. They haven't needed to do that yet. They eventually need to do that. Um, we'll see if he can get back on track. But um, as of right now, I mean, yeah, Tony Bradley for some games seems like a much better option um, to have out there than Vucevic because if he's not spacing the floor, um, Bradley is a much better option defensively and just in the pick and roll as well, just as a roller. I think it's also interesting to see going forward how he will improve offensively and if his role changes. Also, just something to note, with his shooting stats so far, 26.2% from three, 42.6% from inside the arc. It's a career low from somebody who's been a pretty efficient shooter inside the arc. But the last name that we're going to talk about in this disappointing list is Damian Lillard. Now, Damian Lillard had an interesting offseason this year. We definitely thought that there was a chance he was going to get traded out of Portland but he ended up staying in Portland and he's struggling shooting another player that's had a lot of shooting struggles. And we haven't really detailed his as much because you figured at this point in the season, he would have shook off those shooting struggles, but he is really struggling from two and really struggling from three. So is this another case Jackson where the, we have to put the fault on the ball or is this something else with Damian Lillard? I mean, if it's something else, I can't really place a finger on it. Um, his, his shot selection has basically been the same that it's been in past years. His shot attempts has been the same. It's been in past years. They dipped a little bit after he got up to the slow start. He's had a past, past two games, especially he's had good games. Um, and it, you can see his confidence building up. Um, he's definitely increased his shot attempts in the past two games. But I mean, yeah, he's still struggling um, from overall from the field, but especially from three. And I think it's, I don't, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I have to just blame it on the ball until otherwise proven wrong. Um, one thing that he has been good at this season is he's been especially good playmaking wise, um, just facilitating for teammates. Um, and that's the thing that as a superstar point guard, that's the thing that you should do if you're not, um, scoring at the rate they usually do because um, he has so much gravity and so much just the defense always focuses on him. Um, if you're not shooting well, then just dish it off um, and find teammates. And um, you've seen that um, in the pick and roll with Nurkic a lot this year. Um, but now that he's starting to get going again, um, I, I would anticipate that those averages continue to climb up across the board. Um, but I would still like him to um, – keep up the playmaking that he has going right now. Um, I think the two-man game with um, Nurkic right, that he has going right now um, is great. Um, Nurkic, when healthy, is um, a top-10 center in the league, in my opinion. Um, I'm really high on Nurkic. Um, I think he can do a lot of things, especially offensively. Um, and the other thing um, is that CJ has kind of um, picked up the scoring um, in Dame's pretty much absence, at least um, scoring-wise. So... Um, but his, um, scoring averages are also kind of evening out. Um, but he's been efficient an efficient, um, score for them primary option when Damon struggled. So, um, I'm not too concerned, um, about, um, the Blazers as a whole. And you mentioned his playmaking ability, and that's something that as a superstar point guard, that's a must. And I think with his playmaking ability getting better, especially while he's struggling to shoot the ball. I think that's definitely beneficial to a Blazers team that's trying to make a one last gasp for the Western Conference Finals, possibly trying to get one last gasp with the score to make it to the championship. And just to kind of talk about his shooting struggle so far, career low in points per game. He hasn't averaged 19 points per game since his rookie season in 2012 and career low in three point shooting. So I feel like this is another one where you could blame it on the ball because I think a lot of the players that we've talked about have had some sort of negative effect with this, with this ball. So I think that's, that's really interesting to point out, but moving on to some of the impressive players in the NBA so far. And I think one of the top, one of the top players on your list has to be John Morant. And I think with the, the turnaround 
from last year's season. Last year, his numbers were down slightly, but this year he has the most points in his career, points per game in his career, most rebounds in his career, best shooting percentage in his career, and best assist in his career. And a lot of people can make the argument that he is in the category for most improved player, but there's also that category for MVP. So how do you feel about John Morant so far this season? And do you think he has a better chance as the most improved player or the most valuable player? Ja has been really, and this kind of goes back to um, the playoffs and the play in last year and kind of the last couple games of that season Um, going to this season, like that, just this stretch that he's had has been really impressive to me. Um, I feel like part of the, part of the thing is that he's just making threes now, um, which he wasn't doing for say the first 60 games of last season. Um, and he kind of, he kind of got that um, area of his game back because his rookie year, he was never a great three point shooter. Um, but I would like to say, I think he was around league average. Um, and you know, that certainly helps for a guy that's so explosive like him. Um, because we've seen it with guys like Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose, um, especially in their primes. They they were um, average three-point shooters in their prime. Russ maybe a little bit below, but he had the um, ability to make big-time threes. And um, I think that really opened up the game for him. And also, he's just taking smarter shots. Um, he's being, even when his shot isn't going in, he's being really deliberate um, in how he operates um, in that in-between game. Um, in the pick-and-roll, I think he's been a lot smarter. Um, just the variety of ways he has to get his shot up in that mid-range area is so impressive and he uses his, his athleticism very well in the lane. Um, uses ball fakes, pump fakes very well. I think he's overall become a much more fundamental player as well. And um, to answer your question about MIP or MVP, I think he has a, I'm going to err on the side of caution and say he has a better chance at MIP right now. Um, obviously if his numbers keep going up, um, he's going to have a better chance of both. But um, I think as it stands right now, he's at 25 points per game around there. Um, I think he has a better shot at MIP. And I'm really torn between right now if um, Miles Bridges, who we'll probably get into later, or him or Ja has a better shot at that. But they're pretty much dead even in my book. And I think that um, – I think he has a better shot at MIP right now. But um, if – especially a team like the Grizzlies who doesn't have – who don't have like a – solidified second scoring option if he's able to get um a relatively high seed in the playoffs and by that i mean top five probably um and he's able to maintain those numbers i mean he's gonna he's gonna have a shot and i think that this memphis team goes where john morant goes and his third year so far has been his best year shot selection wise he's taking better shots like you mentioned earlier i think he's only going to get better and when we talk about this memphis team this is a team that I feel like is incrementally getting better. 2019, they get to the bubble and they lose in the playing game against the Portland Trailblazers. This past season, they get to the playoffs as an eight seed after defeating the Golden State Warriors, which was a huge win for them. And John Morant had a great game. And this year, John Morant's third season, they had the chance to be the fifth or sixth best team in the Western Conference. So we get into our next player, Miles Bridges from the Charlotte Hornets. When we talk about most improved player, there is a strong argument that Miles Bridges has been the most improved player so far this season. But what has impressed you the most about Miles Bridges' game so far? I think the fact that he's been able to take the initiative on offense while also still being able to um, – play more of an off-ball role like he did much of last year, especially. Um, the Hornets are in an interesting phase right now where they have um, Lamelo, Rozier, Hayward, and Bridges. That's that's pretty much their main core right now. And I think that um, it's interesting because Hayward is obviously the vet out of that bunch. Um, Rozier and Hayward kind of took on the scoring load last year. Um, Rozier was kind of like that just – straight focus on scoring. And I think that getting LaMelo and getting Hayward, um, who are both um, good, really solid playmakers, really opened up Rozier in that role. He had his most efficient season. Um, he was just able to focus on scoring. And I think that, um, I think it's just interesting how he's been able to um, accept more of an off-ball role at times. He's still been a great spot-up shooter. 
Um, and I think that, but he's, he's, his shot creation ability has improved vastly this year. Um, his efficiency is a little down, but you expect that with a guy who um, has transitioned from an off ball role to being the initiator of some of the offense, some of the times. Um, he still has that explosive nature. He's still be able to run with Lamelo and with Rogier. Um, but he's kind of taken over that Hayward role of kind of like that jack of all trades, um, or I guess surpassed Hayward because Hayward still can do all those things. Um, but his playmaking is still a little rough. Um, you expect that to progress as he gets more touches. Um, that's just a thing of having, um, having a feel for the ball, having the ball in your hands and the pick and roll more. Um, and he's been really impressive, um, especially as a defender. Um, he's taken on a lot of tough assignments um, this season. And I think that's just indicative of his um, willingness to work um, on both ends. And I think when you talk about other things that he's improved on, I think the list goes on and on. His handles have gotten better. He's arguably their best isolation threat on the court. He's gotten better in the pick and roll. I think he's become more than just a dunker, even though he's had that athleticism throughout his career. I think that he's actually become more vital to the offense for the Charlotte Hornets than more people think. I think when you talk about his value, it's definitely skyrocketed. I think the other thing to think about with Miles Bridges is that he's on a team that's filled with a lot of scoring options. You have Lamella Ball, who's having an, impress an impressive season so far as well. Terry Rozier, another great scoring option, a great three-point shooter for this team. Talk about the other additions, like Kelly Oubre, 37 points off the bench against the Memphis Grizzlies the other night. This team has scoring threats on this bench, and Something that we're going to get to when we end the impressive list is this most improved player conversation because between Morant and Miles Bridges and a couple of other names we're going to throw out, this is a list that could definitely have a lot of talent in it and could be a tough decision for a lot of people toward the end of the season when we have that conversation. But uh, moving on to the next player in your impressive list is Harrison Barnes. Now, Harrison Barnes has been pretty much a role player throughout his entire career. Really wasn't a top option on the Golden State Warriors. Wasn't really a top scoring option on the Dallas Mavericks. But he comes to Sacramento, and he's putting up some of the best numbers throughout his career. And this season in particular, when we talk about vital players in an offensive system, Harrison Barnes has become a very vital part of this Sacramento Kings offense. And you could argue he is their second best player outside of De'Aaron Fox. So how valuable Jackson is Harrison Barnes to the Sacramento Kings, given what he's done for them uh, throughout his career? I think that he's a very valuable piece. Um, I never really viewed Harrison Barnes as a potential second score or second option on a um, playoff team. But um, I mean, that has become a very real, um, I guess, opportunity or, or scenario. Um, and again, I think some of this has to do with the fact that um, De'Aaron has been struggling um, to start this season. So Barnes has taken over a lot of that scoring load. But the thing is that his efficiency um, and what he's doing, um, the volume is 21 points per game. The efficiency is um, amazing. Um, pretty much on par with what he did last year. Um, his three-point percentage is actually up from last year. Um, and I think that that's really impressive that he's taken on a bigger scoring load and um, has maintained that efficiency. Um, and we kind of saw him do this in Dallas, um, um, although not to this tune where he's um, this efficient in scoring this much. Um, and also, it's, it feels more meaningful um, that it's on the Kings because the Kings, um, as long as De'Aaron gets back on track, could be competing for a playoff spot if Barnes um, keeps this production up. Um, but he's improved his aggressiveness overall on the court has um, increased this season. Um, he's just been seeking out opportunities more um, again, not much of a playmaker, um, but defensively, I feel like he's also really stepped up this year. Um, it's just really interesting to see how Barnes, who is 29 at this point, um, kind of in the prime of his career um, has taken this um, jump kind of out of nowhere. Um, he's always been a very valuable piece if you see his and if you want any proof to that just see his minutes per game coaches have always trusted him um, 
down down the stretch of games and throughout games. Um, but I think it's just really interesting to the timing of the jump that he's taken in his career. Um, and I think that it's just been really impressive overall. I don't know how valuable he is from the standpoint of, I don't know if the Kings, the Kings aren't going to do anything in the playoffs, even if they get there most likely, but um, just to the Kings them, themselves, if they ever get a competent roster around um, De'Aaron Fox, they can legitimately build around De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes um, assuming they do so in the next three years or so. So let me ask you this because we, we've seen Harrison Barnes at Golden State. We've seen Harrison Barnes in Dallas. We've now seen Harrison Barnes in Sacramento. Have we seen the best of Harrison Barnes or is there more to come? I have a hard time believing that he's going to continue progressing. I think that this, this version of Harrison Barnes and 12-game sample size – not too big, but um, it's a pretty good sample size still. Um, 21 points per game. I think he kind of leveled out um, to start the season. I think that that's, that's pretty much his, um, the height of his production. And that's still pretty solid. I mean, he's gone from a pretty, a pretty good role player who, to be honest, was slept on for a lot of his career as a role player, especially with the Kings lately. Um to a guy who has um, hopefully finally now gotten his recognition. And, um, but yeah, I do think that this is the best Harrison Barnes version we will see. I don't, I don't know how um, he even took this jump in the first place and I don't see him taking another one. Yeah. I think that Harrison Barnes is a player that's essentially come out of nowhere. And it's very interesting that he's taken this sort of jump. He's averaging personal best in scoring, rebounding, He's also one of the more mobile power forwards. He's able to hang with some of the top wings in the league. He's averaging some of the best free throw, or he's averaging more free throw attempts in his career than ever. So he's a guy that's able to draw fouls and get to the line. I think he's a player that can really help the Kings make some noise in the Western Conference. I actually kind of want to get your thought on that real quick before we move on to our next player in Tyler Hero. Because the Sacramento Kings are a team that we've been thinking there's a chance that they can make the play-in tournament. It seems like things are starting to kind of come together in Sacramento. Davion Mitchell being a great draft selection for the team. Unfortunately, De'Aaron Fox with his early struggles, but I think he will turn it around eventually. Tyrese Halliburton becoming a, a, a solid scoring option for them. Same thing with Buddy Heald. He's been kind of a consistent three-point shooter throughout his entire career. Do you think that the Sacramento Kings have a legitimate chance of making the play-in tournament? I think that they definitely have a good shot of making the play-in tournament. I actually, with the talent, they have a lot of, especially in their backcourt, especially they have a lot of talent. And I think that they definitely have to shore up that front court um, outside of Harrison Barnes, obviously at the small forward position, if you want to count him. But um, Rashawn Holmes is solid, but um, they don't have a lot of depth there. Um, and that power forward position is kind of um, if he has his right now, um, there's all the drama about Marvin Bagley, not checking to the game too. So um, you've got that, but I think that um, I definitely expect them. They have enough talent on this roster to finish in the play. And I expect them to um, whether they do or not, um, I think has to, I think completely rests on um, Luke Walton and De'Aaron Fox. I think that um, there's, there's a thing about Luke Walton out there that he's not a good coach. Um, and I think that if he gets this team into the play on and potentially gets them into the playoffs, I think he can put that narrative to rest. Um, and I think De'Aaron can um, finally show himself to be the leader of a team that is actually um, so doing something meaningful um, and actually making the playoffs. Cause I mean, I'm not a big person to talk about empty stats or whatever, um, I think that's severely overblown. I don't think there's any such thing as empty stats, but there have been a lot of people out there that probably think Deere and especially last year put up empty stats on a so-so Kings team, um, averaging 25. So, but yeah, I mean, with the roster that they have, the depth, I definitely expect them um, to make the play in. And I think when you're looking at the depth of this Kings team, I think this is maybe the most depth that they've had in a couple of years going position by position. And, I think the the talent on this Kings team gives them the ability to make a run at the play-in tournament, but I think it's going to be up to coaching ultimately 
I think that's going to be something to watch out for going forward. But like I mentioned earlier, getting to our next player in Tyler Hero, and he had some interesting comments to say in the offseason. He believed that he was on the same level as Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and John Morant. Now, looking at this season, he's putting up the numbers to back up his talk. So do you believe, Jackson, that he is as good, or do you believe that he's on the level of a Luka Doncic, of a Trey Young, of a John Morant, or do you believe that this is not the case? Well, I Luka is on a, another level of, and, you know, NBA players say these things. Um, they're, you know, it's, it's all a confidence thing. I love his confidence. But um, on just an analytical level, of the game. I mean, Luca is on a whole nother level compared to all of those guys, as far as I'm concerned. And then, and then you have Trey, um, who's not too far behind, but there's still a noticeable gap. And then I would say that um, if you told me that Tyler Hero was putting up 21 points per game um, off the bench on the efficiency that he's shooting with 46%, which is really impressive, 42% from deep, um, I would say that he'd be close to Ja. But I mean, Ja has put up MVP numbers so far, but he has certainly been impressive. This has exceeded. And I was a big person that was just like not buying into the um, Tyler hero trash or whatever that, you know, he was having a terrible season that there was that narrative going around that he was having a terrible sophomore season. He didn't have a terrible sophomore season. He averaged 15 points per game on pretty much the same efficiency that he scored with um, during his rookie year. Um, this, this was his natural progression. The reason that he's in MIP talks this year is because I expected him to average around 18 points per game. Um, that's the usual progression you see from guys that have, um, a pretty noticeable third year jump. Um, but 21 points per game with the, um, efficiency that he scored with and the, um, shot creation ability that he's shown, um, is something really, I don't think we've seen from him in past seasons, um, even in the bubble. And it's just been really impressive to see how he's done it. Um, I think um, if he keeps this pr- production up um, and my making my revising my top 50 list at the end of the season is going to be really interesting. But um, I think that if he keeps this production up, he's definitely a top 50 player. Um, he's not on the level of those guys yet. Um, he can obviously get there. Um, but I think there's just things that he has to improve on. Um, first of all, he's coming off the bench. And, you know, he's playing starter minutes, but anybody who comes off the bench, um, obviously you're not looked at as highly as guys like Jimmy Butler, guys like Kyle Lowry. Um, we know why Duncan is starting because Duncan is there for um, floor spacing and being kind of an off-ball option, although he hasn't excelled at either. Um, but Hero's kind of been that microwave off the bench and he's kind of better in that role than he would be starting. Um, so, um, but I think that he's definitely he's definitely getting there. Um, I wouldn't say he's there yet, though. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting to point out with him coming off the bench, you could realistically say he's not only up for most improved player, but he's also up for six man of the year. And that's another category that has a lot of talent in it right now. I mean, with other guys like Carmelo Anthony showing out with the way he's been shooting the ball recently, I think that it's interesting to point him out. But I think Tyler here is somebody that we could – talk about for both categories and he's been putting up the numbers to back it up. I mean, 20.3 points, 5.4 rebounds, four assists, 2.8 three pointers per game. I think that it's very interesting to see how he's improved in all those categories. I think it's interesting to say that he was in a slump last year. I know he wasn't shooting the ball from three as well as he is this year than he was last year, but I think it's still uh, noteworthy to point out that he was playing up 15 points a game, which is still pretty solid for somebody coming off the bench. And I think to your point earlier about progression, I think he's, he's almost exceeding the progression that you had him at with the 18 points per game that you expected in average this season, averaging 21, almost, almost 20 points a game this season. I think it's just really interesting to see how he will continue to progress with this team going forward. But Now that we've talked about these three players, John Morant, Miles Bridges, and Tyler Hero, all of them, I think, are considerable candidates for most improved player of the year. 
at the end of the season, if it comes down to these three players, who are you rocking with? I, again, I, I preface this earlier with saying that, you know, John um, Miles Bridges are pretty much virtually tied for me. If I had to choose one, I would choose jaw right now. Um, I think the fact that really drives it home is that um, the increases aren't as much. Um, and I've been a big proponent in the past of um, the year that um, Brandon Ingram won the um, MIP. I was a big proponent of Bam winning it because Bam went from a player that came off the bench to an all-star. Um, that kind of progression is insane. Um, so I definitely think he was snubbed that year. Um, I think Jeremy Grant was snubbed last year. Um, again, I'm not a big fan of empty stats um, arguments. Um, I don't think he put up empty stats and he's showing it this season that he didn't put up empty stats. Um, his increases were insane. Again, he went from a guy who came off the bench, a solid role player, to a guy who was really able to flesh out his role. Um, and most of the time, I, times I would, with that logic, I would go with Miles Bridges. He came off the bench last year um, and is starting this year. But I think that Jaws, um, and this kind of goes to last season, like I said, I think Jaws' um, improvement as a player um, is um, undeniable. I think Miles Bridges, um, his efficiency is going slightly down, kind of hurts him in this debate. Uh, I think he, if he was still shooting 50%, which um, he was – insanely efficient last year. Um, if he kept that efficiency up, I think I would have different thoughts. Um, but I think I have to give it to Ja right now. I think Ja Morant's a good choice for MIP, but I think he's actually better suited for MVP. He's putting up the numbers of an MVP candidate. And we saw this with Russell Westbrook, where you don't have to be on the best team to win MVP. If you remember Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Oklahoma City Thunder finished sixth in the Western Conference that season. This year, even though the Memphis Grizzlies aren't the best team, John Morant's putting up the stats to make the case for him being the most valuable player in the league. Ultimately, I think Miles Bridges walks out with the most improved player award, and he's improved in so many different aspects of his game. You could talk about his defense, his handles, his ability in the pick and roll, being one of the top isolation threats for this team. But you have to think about his, his growth as a player. He was going from being a role player on this team to top scoring option. And I think that's really what's going to benefit his case. I'm very torn on this. I think that Ja, especially from um, outside of the paint, has improved his efficiency vastly. Um, I think that as a playmaker, he's improved. Um, and being able to improve as a playmaker, as he has, as, as he has and also as a scorer um, at the same time, I think is very impressive. Um, but again, with Bridges, I mean, he's been – his shot creation ability has improved vastly. Um, and just being able to um, switch between um, being the main um, proponent of the offense and um, transitioning to kind of an off-ball role, it's been really impressive to me. I think that – um, Bridges has been more impressive um, on the defensive end um, when compared to Ja, especially the jump that he's taken on that end. But it's 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 close. I will admit that. I think it's so great that we're having this conversation now because I think we've kind of solidified who is capable of winning this award right now. John Morant, with the numbers he's putting up, is considered for multiple awards. Same thing with Tyler Hero. He's considered for Sixth Man of the Year and MIP. Miles Bridges has improved in multiple facets of the game that you have to look at more than just the numbers. But moving on to the last impressive player that I want to talk about off your list, Chris Duarte. Uh, he's the only rookie in, in this episode that we're going to talk about. He's been pretty surprising so far. You know, if you watch him at Oregon, 23 years, or should I say 24 years old, coming out of the draft. I mean, he was drafted by the Pacers um, in the first round. And if you kind of watch him at Oregon, he seemed like the perfect player to step right in and take over and be a vital part of an offense. How do you feel about his fit on the Pacers so far? I think that the most interesting thing about um, him and the Pacers is that I didn't think the fit was that well when he came into the situation. Um, I thought it was an interesting pick um, for a Pacers team that 
might look to start rebuilding soon. I thought Duarte was going to go to a team more like the Grizzlies, who um, even though they're stacked at the wing position, could kind of use him um, for a playoff push. Um, that's where I had him going um, in my last mock draft. But I think that the interesting thing here is that he's such an experienced guy that he's made it work, even with um, a stacked backcourt um, like um, the Pacers have. And he's kind of been able to play um, shooting guard and small forward. Um, he's shown off his versatility. Um, he's shown off his um, ability to um, catch and shoot, um, which we obviously saw at Oregon. Um, he was known as um, the best shooter in the draft or one of the best shooters in the draft. Um, at, but also his ability to create for himself a little bit, um, I think adds another dimension um, to the Pacers offense, which is very intriguing. Um, I think the fact that they have so many perimeter creators um, on top of Sabonis, um, on top of um, Miles Turner having a very underrated season so far, um, I think it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, and I think he's fit very well, um, very seamlessly into their offense. His um, ceiling still remains a question. Um, I, I don't know how much better he's going to get from this point, um, but he's, he's, he's been great. And um, his defense hasn't been amazing, but it's been, it's been solid. And I think that he projects as one of the better three and D players in the league for the uh, um, distant future. I think it's interesting because of the fact that we all know how much more development he has left. And this is a player 24 years old. We kind of knew he was going to come into the league and make an impact, but we didn't know where he was going to go. Indiana, I thought was a weird fit to begin with, but he's actually becoming one of their best players right now. And I think, I think it's as interesting to think about with how good he's become so far. But let me ask you this about uh, Chris Duarte before we kind of wrap things up. Is there a chance that he walks out with rookie of the year? Because this is a talented rookie of the year class. I'm not 100% sure if he will finish top three, but he's putting up the numbers to make his case for a top three finish. I think the fact that he's already um, – he, he got off to a hot start through three games. Yeah. He was averaging around 20 points per game. I think the fact that he's already kind of started falling behind is not a good sign. Um, I think Barnes and uh, Mobley um, – have kind of separated themselves from the pack already. Duarte is not too far behind them, I don't think. Um, but I think that they're kind of starting to separate from them. And then you have guys like Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green, um, the top two picks, who have gotten off to slow starts. Um, but we saw them play last night. Um, in the They played each other last night, and they um, both looked solid. Um, Cade finally looked like he had a rhythm. Um, to his game. Um, shots were finally falling. Um, he was doing everything else that he was doing before. Um, hustling, being a solid playmaker, um, capable defender. So, I mean, I I see him finishing um, I think, I see him finishing as high as around four. I think that there is um, a world in which he can beat out um, Jalen or Cade, one of the two, um, in that voting. But I think that um, it's more realistic that he finishes fifth. Um, yeah, I just, I just think that Scotty and um, Mobley have kind of separated themselves already. And I, th I expect Kate and Jalen to kind of um, catch up as well. I think with the amount of talent, it also kind of hurts his case with players like Scotty Barnes playing so well so far. Evan Mobley's coming out as a big surprise for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he's actually become maybe one of the more impressive rookies out of this class. I think it's going to be very hard for Chris Duarte to make his case. And with not a lot of development left for the 24-year-old, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he continues to progress this season with the Indiana Pacers. Jackson, on that note, this was definitely a fun episode to talk about. Really interesting to look at both your list and break down a lot of the players on this list. Where can people find you on Instagram? Yeah, my Instagram is um, at Hot Takes on Hoops. Um, and yeah, this has been a really fun episode. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, I would love if um, anyone watching would follow the um, Instagram. We're doing a lot of good things over there. Um, and yeah, this has been fun. Um, it's uh, always fun to get on. 
um, and talk to you and Jalen when he <laughs> is back. But yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going to have you on when Jalen is back and healthy. Might break down that top 50 players list because that's that's already an interesting list to think about with the 50 best players right now. That's definitely a discussion we'll, we'll have for a future episode. But transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, going back to the most improved player race, who do you think has the best chance of winning most improved player? Do you think it'll be John Morant, Miles Bridges, or Tyler Hero? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode.